Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 38. Uh, We'll be looking into, uh, we continue in the story of the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist. Others said, Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man, which was Jesus' um, favorite term in the Gospel of Mark to refer to himself, um, in, in, uh, in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus will use the phrase I am over and over again uh, to talk about his own understanding of his identity. In the Gospel of Mark, there's this humility, uh, humbling statement, Son of Man, which refers to himself as Messiah. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if, anyone, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, What can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation will also, um, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Hmm. Pray with me. God, as much as I've confessed earlier in the service, may I never be ashamed of you. Help us to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The season of Lent that we find ourselves in is located in the Gospel of Mark in this part of the story. It's happening now. 
Jesus, uh, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, it'll be in the 10th chapter, and Jesus will say, uh, or Luke will say of Jesus, and he turned, uh, he set his face towards Jerusalem. Which means he set his face towards the events of Holy Week. And Lent is an anticipation, it's that part of the journey that we pay attention to Jesus heading to Jerusalem and across. As we've talked about before, as I talked about on, on Ash Wednesday, one of the major emphases of Lent is a time of letting go. And it's not so much what you let go of that's important, it's even more about what you're making room for in your life. You let go of stuff not just to be empty. Uh, at some point, Jesus will say, beware of what, what if you cast out a demon, be, be careful because what might fill you back up is, could be worse than the previous one. So it's not just about letting go of stuff. It's about opening up yourself to receive other things, other good things. Um, it's a way of receiving something more. It helps you get in a posture of being able to listen more clearly and to learn more deeply than where you'd been prior. That's the purpose of Lent. I, I had an experience in Lent a few years ago. Um, San Clemente Presbyterian Church put on a, a uh, 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 Stations of the Cross. They took all their upstairs rooms and that all connect and they made the stations, there are a number of them. And, um, and I got to the Station of the Cross that evening where there was a sculpture from somebody in town that it looked to me, and when I first got there, like, um, like Mary. It looked like a woman um, on her knees. And it was about this big, just this beautiful piece of art. And... Um, and I got to that moment, and it was the moment where Peter denied Jesus and then hid himself. And it caught me off guard. Lent is supposed to catch us off guard. And in that moment, I was like taken with the fact that I felt like Peter, and I'd been hiding hiding my talents and hiding who I was. And it was an opportunity for me to rediscover myself again and an invitation. And the direction of my life shifted. <laughs> Some of it not by choice. At this time in Jesus' ministry, he sends out the disciples to do what? To heal, to cast out demons, and to preach repentance. Talked about that last week. Not easy tasks. Not ones I'm sure you'll all sign up for. If I packed around a clipboard or three clipboards today, which one would you pick? You want to be healing people out there? You'd like to be casting out demons? Or would you like to be the person preaching repentance to crowds? Pick one. Anyone. Now let's see, you probably won't. You would just, that empty clipboard would just keep going around the room. <laughs> he, 
he is also asking his disciples to do another thing, to listen. To listen to what people are saying about him. And so he asked them, what do you hear the people say? He says, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others one of the prophets, Amos, Jeremiah, Isaiah. All of the people that listed in, John, in Mark's gospel and the other gospels are forerunners to the Messiah. All of them have something like the Messiah in them. All are announcing a new reality, a new world, a new way of being. They're all announcing what it's like to have the kingdom of God. All of them. They're all forerunners to the messianic promise. But none of them were like Jesus. Even now, people speak of Jesus in these terms. But they couch it in different ways. They say that uh, Jesus is a great teacher and we just have to master his teachings. Jesus is a great leader. Uh, We just have to follow well. Jesus is um, a great CEO. Well... (laughs) Not so much. But um, we actually had a a speaker at our pastor's retreat um, recently that suggested the pastor should take on the role of CEO. Uh, As you can imagine, many of us were not happy with the person speaking. It's not why we went into it. I could have earned more money in business. Some write about Jesus as being the best salesman ever. Friends, be wary of those people. Jesus isn't that. I mean, before he's crucified, everybody abandons him. He's nothing like all the equivalencies of this world we could lay on him. Amen. Y'all, you, more of you are going to have to sit with Phil. Um, <laughs> We'll have a conversation here. Um, It's a case of listening to others. This is what people say. But to take seriously others, you have to take seriously their worldview. You don't have to agree with it, but you have to take it as seriously as they do. I've said that to you before that we need to take the opinions and the ideas and the worldviews of people out there just as seriously as they do. We can't mock it. We can't be derisive of it. We can't be people that go, oh, it just, they just got that off TV. It's just conservative. It's just liberal. If someone holds a viewpoint, it's our job to hear it and take it seriously. In doing so, we take the other seriously. It's a case for listening to others. If we will do that, then we will figure out how to speak and how to act. Nobody came up with Jesus was the Messiah. Why? 
because of what he says next. Who do you say that I am? And Peter blurts it out, (laughs) impetuous as ever. Who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah of God, the anointed one, the one set apart. You're the one who's different. You're the one come to save us. In Matthew's account, Jesus follows up that statement and says, you didn't learn this on your own, Peter. This was revealed to you by God. It wasn't taught. It wasn't learned. It was something not in the message. It was given to you from above. Until now, in the story, the Messiah could be anything you wanted. The Messiah could be any tradition you wanted. Israel could make up whatever they wanted the Messiah to be like. There were lots of people that wrote about the Messiah. There were lots of people that wanted to make the Messiah a political figure or a military figure. There were lots of people that wanted to make the Messiah the Savior. Whatever it was they had in mind that they didn't like in the world, this person was coming to change it. They were going to be a ruler like David. You know how that turned out. They were going to be rulers like Solomon, or they were going to have some great historic fact or, or presence about them. Until then, in the story, people could make up whatever they wanted. They could attribute almost anything to what they thought the Messiah meant. But in this story, Jesus is now before them. As Jesus is before you. God's truth is embodied in the one standing before us and before the disciples. You can't look past or beyond or around this person. For disciples need to look directly at Jesus and see him for what he reveals about himself. Not what we've learned, but what we've been shown. Until the incarnation, we had a made-up Jesus. We had a made-up Messiah. Even now, once we stop looking at Jesus and look at other things, we begin to make up an alternative to the one before us. How do I know? When Jesus says and tells them what the Messiah is like, he will also show them. The real Messiah suffers, dies, and is resurrected. Jesus tells more of the story. 
He says, I am the Savior who abandons my own life for the benefit of others. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then you better take seriously what he says about the Messiah and what he demonstrates. Robert Frost wrote a poem that's been quoted many times, uh, just the title of it, the road, uh, the road Not Taken. And my guess is at this point, and it's true in the story of Jesus, it's true maybe even today, that many of you will come up against this statement and think, ah, it's not really for me. It's the road less taken by the church or the road not taken by the church most of the time. We seek to preserve ourselves and what we've accomplished, and Jesus seeks to let it go. The problem is, Jesus says, follow me. It's the problematic phrase. It's the problematic element of the text. Jesus basically says, come along with me. Where are you going? To a cross. Thank you for the invitation. We'll, We'll read that in other people's response to Jesus. They'll say, thanks for the invitation, but I've got things to do. That seems a bit much. The Christian life is one of downward mobility for the sake of others. It's not my will, but thine be done. Many a pastors built a ministry in wealthy communities like ours, saying something like, you've been blessed with such a good life. All that's really left to do is add Jesus to what you got. I pastored five miles from a really big church. And that's how they sold it. I can go back and show you all the ads. I can let you hear the early sermons. And it's not just big churches that do it. Little churches try too. You've been given so much, just add a little bit of Jesus to the mix. And Jesus is saying to us, you've been given a lot, let it go. Scott Peck, psychiatrist and uh, writer, wrote a book some years ago, Um, that did a play on Frost's words. And the title of the book was The Road Less Traveled. We Mostly Resist. Do you remember me um, saying, uh, Bethany um, Anderson did a nice little thing for me with this from uh, a little bit of art um, talking about this next statement. Do you remember me saying that the Enlightenment values that we have in our Declaration of Independence, 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I've shared with you before what I think about it. You can disagree with me here. This is fine. It's not gospel, but I'll be really stubborn with you if you want to debate this. So come on, let's do it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are all things that originated from French and English philosophers in the 18th century. It was the Enlightenment values. They are not Christian values. They're fine to have as country values. I don't, I just don't, I don't think my country needs to be Christian or not. I think the church needs to be. And the reason you don't have a flag in here is because we only have one allegiance. And we represent many, many nations throughout the centuries and millennia. And we have room in here for people from so many different places. We have people worshiping in here today from India and Africa and other parts of the world, even Scotland. (laughs) That most unholy of places. And we gather in one place. Why? Because we're called to something bigger. Christians follow Jesus. Christians suffer and die. We have the right to die to ourselves. We have the right to become servants or slaves of Christ. And we have the right to live for the glory of of another, not for myself. A real witness to the Messiah begins by taking up a cross daily, dying to ourselves and obeying Jesus. It requires listening to the world around us, taking their viewpoints seriously so we can figure out the questions they are asking and see if we have the answers in us to share. Listening to others. The disciples listened. They got feedback. And then Jesus told them, listen, none of that's quite right. Let me tell you who I am. And then he said to the church, you don't need to go out and change people's minds. You need to demonstrate who I am. Some of you on session, some of you as the PNC have been uh, doing and are finishing up doing a bunch of interviews in the community. And uh, we're interviewing people and trying to listen to them. People that are not part of our church. People perhaps mostly that are not associated with any church. And we're trying to listen to them respectfully and to figure out what it is that they're concerned about. We're trying to take them seriously. We're listening for, as our 
our friend Todd Bolsinger says, we're listening for the pain points of the community. Where are people identifying the challenge and pain they experience in their communities? We're listening for them. And we're listening for where our giftedness, our charisms, match up. So we might be able to be part of a solution, part of an answer, and a part that can give glory to God. We really do want to hear, not as an opportunity to get to our spiel. You know, spiel, that word. We have this thing in mind, I, I, I learned it, you know, that, that um, actually I worked for a company when I was in college that was called One Way Tape Library. And their spiel was this, where the word of God is easily captured, uh, is virtually captured on easy to use cassette tapes. And it's like, I had that. I had it down. I could tell anybody what one-way tape library was about, where the word of God was virtually captured on easy-to-use cassette tapes. Yeah, it was kind of superficial. Um, and, um, and I learned it wasn't true as time went on, but it, it was a spiel. I had that. If somebody asked me what I did, I could do that. You know, people want you to have an elevator speech. Let me, let me just have... Let me just ask you to have an elevator ear. Listen. Don't come at it looking for an opening so you can get your opinion in. It's a real turnoff, just in relationships. But can you do it and just hear another person? Authentic Christians dying to ourselves living in a real Messiah who isn't made up, but revealed to us and through us. A real Messiah listens and pays attention and gives up their life for the pain of the world. We need to get back in touch with that. How are we going to do it?